You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 64. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, guys, so we're bringing another interview your way today. This is a little different. We're going to be talking to Luke King, and Luke is a former pastor and U.S. Navy chaplain candidate uh, turned atheist. He's the host of the Your Atheist Pastor podcast. He's also uh, non-monogamous, so he brings a really interesting perspective to this conversation, and we're going to be talking about a couple of things. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about how religion intersects with uh, polyamory and alternative relationships. We're going to be talking about how a lot of people who have decided to live an quote-unquote alternative lifestyle, um, you know, start to question their faith and what it looks like when that does happen and how you can rebuild your life if you decide to move away from the faith that you've always held, how you can find your own morality, um, you know, particularly as it relates to non-monogamy and a bunch of great things like that. So, Uh, It's a great interview. Luke is a super funny dude. And without further ado, let's get started. I guess, you know, if you just want to start with your story, I know, you know, there's a little bit about in the bio, but I'm I'm really curious how how you got from point A to point B from being a pastor and like a chaplain candidate to being the atheist pastor. Yeah. So there's a there's two hours of how of the whole story. The very first two episodes I ever did are like chronicle that journey. But I will do my I've I've worked on condensing elevator, the Um, elevator version. Yeah. yeah. So so basically, I mean, what it boils down to is when I got divorced, I was married for five years. I was a chaplain candidate. I was finishing up my master of divinity and I got divorced. I, I left my my marriage because I was very unhappy in it. After I was married for about four months, I was like, I think I've married the wrong person. And, and then I put in like five years after that to like see if I was right. And I was. And ultimately, when I left the marriage, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy in this marriage. I, I'm not getting anything that I need. I got married when I was 22, so I didn't even know what my needs were. And my frontal lobe was barely there. And so... So uh, decision-making was not good. Once I left my marriage, a, a, lot of, a lot of folks revolted against that. And a lot of people had a lot to say regarding me leaving my marriage. Very few of it positive. And the church really kind of, my pastor was a tool. When I left, he said some things that were really sweet to me. And by sweet, I mean they were awful. And so, so I just kind of, uh, I started going, I, I didn't run from God. I wasn't like, uh, what is our swear level here uh, on this show? What the fuck ever you want. There it is. So I was like, you know, fuck this. Uh, I, I wasn't like, fuck this, you know, fuck God, fuck church. I was like, no, I need to find like a church home that is more congruent with me. And so I tried to find other churches. But when I would go to other churches and tell my story, they they would say, oh, we would never do that at our church. But the thing is, my church said the same thing to people who had come out of shitty situations. And my church did treat me terribly. And I started hearing these other, these other churches. I just started feeling uncomfortable in church because I just felt like they were all lying. Like I thought they would be terrible to me and they wouldn't allow me to go through my shit. And they wouldn't be willing to support you even if you did something that the institution didn't like. And so I just stopped going to church, but I didn't stop believing in God necessarily. I just stopped going to church. And then I started practicing yoga and I found a piece in yoga that I didn't find in Jesus or God or religion. So I started doing my yoga teacher training and started to see these yoga philosophy and chakras and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, this isn't real. This is just a great kind of, you know, way that they talk about the body. And 
because I wasn't a pastor anymore, I was able to ask the questions I'd always wanted to ask because I wasn't, my, my livelihood didn't depend on this anymore. You know, when you're being paid to be a pastor, you have to end at the point of belief. You know, all these pastors that are like, listen, I was an atheist and I really doubted, you know, I, I doubted a lot. I really, I don't want to doubt their sincerity, but I do because yeah, you might doubt, but you have to end at the point of belief in order to remain a pastor. So once I was in the position that I was in where I was cleaning toilets, it didn't matter what I believed anymore. So I started listening to some podcasts. I started listening to the very first, uh, the two podcasts I started listening to were The Thinking Atheist with Seth Andrews and Life After God with Ryan Bell. Those were my big two. And I started to see like, here are two guys who used to be religious, who now aren't, and are actually still alive. Like God didn't just show up and kill them. And so that kind of was the, the push for me. You know, there's a lot obviously in between, but that was kind of the push for me of seeing like, no, these guys are fine. They've made it and I can make it too. And so I started, I basically just stopped doing religious things. I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped praying and nothing changed. My life didn't go terrible. I was still like, I was still breathing. Uh, God didn't show up from behind a corner and be like, ha, I got you. It was just, it was normal life. So once I decided, once I watched all the, you know, I, when I watched the atheist YouTube videos, you know, Matt Dillahunty and, and all the, you know, all the Richard Dawkins, all the atheist videos that are out there that everyone has seen who's ever questioned their faith, I was kind of, I felt lost because my whole life was built around religion, church, Jesus, God. My, my career was, my, my views on everything from, from society to sexuality, like everything, God touched everything. And here I was now with no faith and all the books and all the videos and all the stuff out there was all about why you shouldn't believe because belief is, you know, wrong or bad or dumb or, you know, what, however, whatever atheist you're listening to likes to phrase it, but nobody was doing anything that, that said, this is how you can rebuild your life after faith. And I wanted to do something like that because I didn't know how to do it. So I just thought, well, what the hell? I just might as well chronicle my rebuilding. And that's how I started. That's, then I, that's when I started Your Atheist Pastor. And it's kind of just gone from there. So that's the, that's the elevator version of that. Uh, how long have you been doing the podcast for now? It will, it's about two and a half years. I started in November of 2016. Yeah. So we're, you know, this November will be three years. And what, so um, what, when it says you were a four square pastor, yes. what does that mean? What is a four Great square pastor? Great question. Because nobody outside of Southern California knows what that is. <laughs> so four square is not a playground game uh, that you used to do. And it's not a website that tells you where you're at or where people are at. It's a very Pentecostal denomination. So they're very much about speaking in tongues, casting out demons, gifts of the spirit for for people that don't know what that means. Like you can, you know, pray for someone and they'll be healed. So think faith healers. It's kind of like a denomination that mimics the things that you might see from like Benny Hinn and those kinds of faith healers, but on a much like, you know, smaller and less financially viable scale. I was, I was really curious what like checking in had to do with the church for a minute. You must get that question huh. a lot though. I do. I would say that's probably the second most asked question is what is, what the hell is Foursquare? What's the first? The most common question, I mean, aside from how the hell did this happen, is where do you get your morality? That's the most, the most, most common question I get is how do you, how are you still a good person without some sky man telling you not to murder somebody? We might have to go into that. It's a point. It's funny. We're talking about Matt Dillahunty. Cassie and I were actually driving down to go climbing today. And we're listening to to uh, them talk to somebody about faith healing. So this is a, it's a fortuitous conversation. You know, it's funny. Our, our last interview that we did uh, was with uh, Andy Vargo, who's a guy who was gay, but he was in the church for a, a very long time up until his 30s. And was it his 30s or his 40s? He came out about being gay at 40. Wow. Yeah, he came out about being gay at 40. Yeah. It was really interesting listening to him talk about how, you know, he was raised in a religious house and like, you know, he was raised to believe that being gay was wrong. So he always thought it was something he could get over. Like with, with you, I'm curious, is, is um, you know, the non-monogamy portion of stuff for you, is that something that 
you like when you were when you were married back when you were still religious like is that something that like you had a an idea that that was something you were interested in or was that something you didn't find until later so uh, yes i'll say yes to both i think it was i always said when i was married that if i wasn't a christian i'd want to be a porn star because then i could just have sex for a living and that would be awesome like that was, <laughs> that was my that was my dream guys was just to go fuck everybody so i uh once i got divorced because i i was a virgin until i got married i didn't have sex till i was 22 until i got married that was my my, my wife was my, the very first sexual partner i ever had and you poor poor guy i know oh cassie i know listen i oh I mourn the horniness of my late teens and early 20s and what I could have done if only, if only I'd known better. And so, so I wasted, I wasted all those years. So I, I, I would kind of make that joke. And then when I got divorced, I, I was like, why? You realize being a porn star is kind of hard. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that would be exhausting. And then you'd have to like <laughs> literally like get hard on command, which, which is, which is, un, it's hard to do. But also, like I, I heard all these people say, like you should wait and you should wait to have sex because you'll 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 never regret waiting. And I did regret waiting. Like I had sex the first time, and I was like, wow, I wish I could have had. I wish I could have tried this with so many more people. And so when I got divorced, I just like really went for it and made up for a lot of lost time from my teens. And then when I started dating Tammy, our first date. Well, I get I back up a little bit when I was dating. I would always kind of mention it like when I was when I would be dating before I met Tammy, I would, you know, kind of like mention a threesome. And this is this was the fun part. Like when I when I mentioned a, to a girl I was dating, when I said, oh, it would be really fun to like, you know, have a threesome one of these days. She was like, well, how would you feel if you saw me fucking another guy? And I was like, great. Like, let's <laughs> let, because because they think you're going to say, oh, I wouldn't like that. Oh, you know, and it's like because they're because they don't like it because that happens a lot. What the somebody like the guy not liking it? Yeah, like the guy being like, it'd be cool to be a, have a threesome, but like, right? I don't want to see you with another guy because that happens all the time. Oh, for sure. And so, but so that was my first inkling into like maybe there's something different about the way I see these relationships because when she would say, "Oh, how would you feel?" I was like, "Cool." Like, should we try that? Like, is that do you want to do that first and then and then try the other girl? You know, I was almost like excited about that. And so once I met Tammy and on our first date, she was like, have you ever had a threesome? And I was like, no. And she goes, oh, I have. I was just kind of like, wow, I found the one. Yeah, you're like, that's it. That's it. I that, know. That's it. That's great. I would say I'm living the life I dreamed of in the sense that I'd always wished this was possible, but didn't think it was. And it is. And so, so it, it's kind of been an evolution of thought it was threesomes and then we went to couples and now we actually have like couple friends that we're going to go to Disneyland with tomorrow who we also play with like it's it's one of those things nice. where like we just we do normal stuff together too you know and and that's the cool thing about it that we've found so i have to say you you mentioned a while back the whole you never regret waiting and it's funny because I tell folks all the time, like, I think that is one of those things that we tell people, that we tell our kids, that we tell people younger than us, like, you should wait. You should wait to have sex. And as far as, like, relationships go, like, you want to know if you're sexually compatible with somebody yes. before. Yeah. Do you mind me asking a couple personal questions? Oh, no, not at all. Go ahead. Good. Then you're in the right place. So, like, yeah, no. So, I'm actually super curious. So, like, you know, because one thing. It's funny, like we had the conversation with our kid, like I think that's the opposite of what most parents have, which is like, do not marry somebody until you slept with them. Yeah, like, that's an awful him, idea. I actually told him if he proposes to a girl and I find out that he has not had sex with her, that I will not acknowledge their relationship at that point. Um, <laughs> I, love I will that. not I will not be accepting. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, so, and, and the, you know, the reason for that obviously is because like people like to pretend it's not, not so much in our space. Right. But like, right. you know, in, in the more general world, people like to pretend that sexual compatibility isn't important. That's just one of those things that if you love each other, you'll work through. And it's also horseshit. That's why so many people are cheating on each other and things like that. So like, did you like get into the relationship? And then like after like, cause there's always that like new period, like, you know, sure. where everybody's acting a little different, but like afterwards, did you find where you like, Oh shit. Like I'm, I'm in this relationship and I'm not 
not actually sexually compatible with this person. Is that with with like with my wife or like yeah yeah, yeah with your wife yep. yeah um gosh that was so long ago. Science calls it the refractory period. I call it the moment of clarity, which is the moment shortly <laughs> after a male orgasm where a man can think clearly and know whether or not he's really into the woman that he's with. Because it's either after, like after, like the moment after orgasm, you're either like, oh, baby, you're so beautiful. Or you're like, I got to go. So I call it the moment of clarity. And I didn't have that with my, uh, I never experienced that before. So with my ex-wife, I don't know if I, there was a sexual incompatibility there. A lot of us, for us, it was a, an emotional incompatibility. Like I'm a very talkative, emotionally like connected. I'm a high, I'm, a, I'm an emotionally high maintenance guy. I don't even understand myself sometimes. It takes a lot of emotional effort to be in a relationship with me, which I, I'm only recently at being okay with admitting that. That was not there with my ex-wife. It wasn't there at all. So that led to not wanting to have sex with her because I felt like I would rather have sex with a wall because I could have better emotional connectivity with a wall than I could with her. And so that that's really kind of what led to that split. You know, it's really interesting. One of the things that got us from the sex space more to the relationship space is, you know, because for, for a long time we did sex education and we did a lot of stuff like educating people around Fifty Shades of Grey and then we moved and Dilly Cassie was doing more like sex coaching. And one of the things that for us really shifted us, you know, more towards the relationship and things, and there, there were a lot of things that happened, but one of them was we we started realizing that Nine times out of 10, when somebody came to talk about sexual problems, it went back to relationships. Like, like you you know, you had the things where it's like, oh, like there's like some physical problem or like, you know, I have problems orgasming or like, you know, like I have problems getting wet or, you know. I need to find the right kind of lube. I need to find the yeah. right kind of lube. Like I'm having erectile dysfunction, like that kind of stuff. But nine times out of 10, it always went back to either the sex was bad because there was problems in the relationship or there were problems in the relationship that they were trying to fix with sex or something along those lines. Like it's so often yeah. so closely related. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I've been learning about recently and kind of one of the things that has, that has come up, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, Esther Perel talks about it in Mating in Captivity. She talks about the love-lust split where the closer you get relationally to someone, like you, 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 you meet someone, you're sexually attracted to them, you have that new relationship energy, you start to connect with them. And then the more you connect with them, the more you become family, the less sexually attracted to them you are. It's like the scale changes. And that was something that I had been experiencing pretty much in like all my relationships. Like, like I would get to a point in all my relationships where once we got soup, like I liked a certain level of closeness, but once we got super close and once that person like became family, then that was when my sexual drive started to drop off. You know, we started to like your lives start to meld to a point where you don't see the barriers between the two of you. There's no separateness anymore. And that I'm very guilty of like not maintaining my separateness and just like jumping in and taking on another person's problems and life and challenges and emotions and all that kind of stuff. And then then I lose Luke, you know, and then as soon as I leave uh, that relationship, well, then all of a sudden I'm super attracted to that person again, because there's that separateness. And I'd experienced that in all my relationships, including the one I'm in now, but I now am aware of it. And so Tammy and I have kind of like been working on that. Like, how do we maintain separateness, even when we live together, and we're, you know, basically family, that's kind of been part of this whole like swinging non monogamy thing. It's like trying to figure out how that separateness comes into play. And, and looking back, that's the same thing that happened with my ex-wife is that once we got to this family element, well, then all of a sudden I wasn't, we, we, we were, you know, the two become one flesh, you know, that biblical reference. When there's one flesh, you can't go towards each other. There's just there's one flesh. There's no connection there. And so, so that was kind of a sex killer for that too. So I don't know why that popped into my head just now, but that's kind of, um, you know, you take that for what it is. I think that's true in a lot of cases. Uh, the vast, vast majority. I think there are a couple exceptions. That's one place I feel like Cassie and I have certainly not run into issues. I but think it's because if it wasn't for our sex, I wouldn't like you. So I think we already have that separation now. Maybe the that's sex what it just is. brings us together. If I'm being honest, 
I like, love maybe that. that's what it is. But yeah, no, I will say. But but I do think that that's generally a true rule. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely seen that in a lot of my other relationships. You know, it's it's interesting. And, and I'm really glad to have you on because I think a lot of the people that, that we cross paths with and that listen to our podcast, right, at some point they have some kind of a crisis of faith. Like, and, and sometimes, a lot of times, I think it comes from from this place of being different in their lives. Like, like Andy Vargo is like a good answer, right? It's like one day it's like, okay, like I can't hide being gay anymore. And then it's like, okay, now I have to reevaluate everything in my life, including my faith. And I feel like we have a lot of people who, who get to that point. Yeah. I think it starts to make you take a different look at all the areas of your life and start going, well, if this wasn't quite right, what about this thing that I've had these negative thoughts about? What about this thing that I assigned as just being out of the question? When you have sort of like that shift from faith, there's a lot of things that then aren't at the surface wrong anymore. And I'm not talking about morals. We'll talk about sort of like the the morale later. But say my religion says that I can't have pork. Well, if I leave that religion suddenly porks on the on on the plate. Now I have like a million different meals that I can try. Should I try those meals? I don't know, maybe. And I think a lot of people go through that. Like there's been a lot of things that I've been excluding from my life simply based on this belief. Oh, for sure. So when you're religious, I mean let's just use sex, you know, let's use non-monogamy as an example. If you're religious, adultery is a sin. And if you continue to sin, then you will go to hell. Well, all of a sudden, when you don't believe in, you know, and 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 your and that hell is based on typically your faith structure. So when you leave your faith, well, now all of a sudden, because God isn't real, I can't go to hell because hell isn't real. So if hell isn't real, then that means sinning really isn't real because sins are not the same as like laws. You know, it's a sin, quote unquote, to have sex outside of marriage, it's not against the law. Well, in some states it still is, which is stupid, but, um, you know. That's, <laughs> Nobody's that's, listening to it. But but you you get the gist here. Like, so now all of a sudden, sinning isn't, uh, it's, it's, it's not a thing. It's not real. It's made up. And so I can't sin because, because it's, it's not real. So all these behaviors that used to be bad because God said they're bad, now are no longer bad. They're open. They're on the table. The challenging part about being an atheist and or agnostic or not religious is that you now have to think about the decisions that you make. There's no shortcut. The shortcuts are gone. You know, it used to be like, I don't do this because God said it's bad. And now you're like, well, is this bad? Is this bad for everyone? Is this bad for me? Is this good for me in this season of my life, but bad for me later? You have to wrestle with all those questions because you now you don't have that shortcut where that just says God said this is bad now don't do it. You know it's funny I uh, so and I may have to talk to you a little more in depth sometime about about my story with this but I come from a very religious family. My father was like training to be a minister when I was a kid. And, you know, my family was the family that like, you know, like the missionaries from like other religions would come around and my family would try and convert them. Yes. And your parents are so lame. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I was but I was raised in a, in a really religious family. And, you know, it's funny. I so I I've, I've moved away from that quite a bit, obviously. And but kind of where I was going with this, is it's, it's funny because I was having a conversation with one of my family members. A while ago, because when I came out as non-monogamous, my family went really, really poorly, as you can imagine. Yeah. And uh, like like we didn't talk for months kind of poorly. And, um, you know, but but later after after some time when I come out, I was having a conversation with one of my family members and we were talking about, you know, we're talking about the non-monogamy thing. And this was somebody who'd reacted really badly when I first uh, first came out about the whole thing. And, you know, I'll never forget this portion of the conversation because we were sitting there and we, we'd had this whole kind of conversation about the morality of non-monogamy. And basically, I had the conversation of, you know, do you ever look at other women? I was like, you know, and it started off that, that conversation of no, of course not. That's kind right. of like bullshit, like bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. You don't and get married and lose your yeah, eyes. Yeah, you don't. That was pretty much what I said. Like, yeah. And I was like, you know, I was like, so do you ever look 
at other women? And he was like, well, yes. And he was like, you know, but I know that if I was to act on that, there would be like relationship consequences for that action. And I said, okay. I said, so then what if there weren't? Right. Then what would you do? And he was like, well, I guess in that case, the only reason I wouldn't would be because God says I can't. And I was like, well, I we can't, you know, that that's kind of, I think we've gotten as far as we're going to get with yep. this conversation at this point, you yep. know? Yeah, that is the, that God is the end of the line there. I mean, and that's, and that's what it is. And now that's why when people ask, you know, how do you, you know, where do your, your morals come from? Like that it's because God isn't there, then you have to wrestle with those and you have to deal with what your own morality is. But, but the folks who are religious, they're just like, well, I guess God, you know, that that's, that's a lot of people don't know why they don't do things other than because God said they shouldn't. And God said they can't like, like, why should you like, literally, why shouldn't you have sex with someone before you get married? And it's most, you should, you, very should. Much should. you should, <laughs> I mean, really, and, and we're joking about it, but honestly, it makes a shit ton of sense. Like, no. and you're right. And the reason you don't is because the only reason is because God said no. And, and, and that's just dumb. And, and it's, I mean, religious people aren't dumb. I, I don't believe that at all. I think religious people, you know, people are religious for multiple reasons, but to just blindly say, well, don't have sex before marriage. That's not, that's just not, it's, ah. Uh, infuriating <laughs> and it's funny i think that i think the reasons that you were describing you know a minute ago about like you know you come away from religion and all of a sudden there's no sin is why you see so many people who were religious who stopped being religious just go buck fucking wild yep right and i'm we, sure you've seen that as much as i oh, have well i mean i did it a and <laughs> and and we talk to so many of the couples that we meet when they ask us, you know, like what, you know, what I do for a living, because one of my jobs is I do funerals, like I officiate funerals. And that's a really interesting discussion to have with people. And they ask, you know, oh, how'd you get into that? Well, I used to be a pastor. And then that, you know, that's usually how the, the conversation goes. And then they normally tell their story about how they used to be religious. And, and it just kind of goes from there. And so we talked all the time to folks who grew up super religious and are now in the lifestyle who are, you know, uh, either swinging or poly or, you know, different variations of, of the, kind of on the sexual spectrum. That was something I did want to ask you, actually, because I imagine because of what you do, you'd be in a good place to judge this. So do you feel like like what's your feeling as a whole? And like, you know, most of the people you talk to are kinky, are poly, are, you know, in the lifestyle or whatever. Are most people people who have moved away from religion at this point? Because I know there are some who still, you know, and I think when I say this of like the leather community specifically, who are still like very much up on the religion. I haven't met anybody yet. Well, okay, so I don't know if I'm good to answer this question. Here's why. Our screen name on the website that we are on is the swinging atheists. So if you're like, <laughs> if you're, you're right, you're self-selecting at exactly. that point. So, so I can't tell you for certain i can't give you a good answer to that question because we probably alienate anybody that is remotely <laughs> religious just with that screen name i agree <laughs> but i will say everybody we've met uh has been a very like non-religious atheist agnostic left faith you know something along those lines yeah and i certainly don't want to say it's everybody like i said i do know some people especially in, like the power exchange community more than the non-monogamy community who do still hold very close to their religion. I find the explanations they give for that and, you know, and what they're currently doing interesting sometimes, but I do know some people who hold hold pretty tightly to that. Yeah, it's sort of that like mental gymnastics that people do to stay in faith. Yes. Like, it's like, okay, so I know that this passage says this thing, but if I contort it this way that way and jump up and down while let doing me do what i was going to do anyways now it's okay <laughs> well and that's and that's the thing people think that they do things because god told them to people do things because they wanted to do it anyway and they figure out a way to make it happen and i you know i saw a video i saw this youtube video once of a couple that swings that's bodybuilders and they're super christian and they see their swinging lifestyle as a way to minister to people. And that's just crazy. 
I mean, they're saying, oh God. But so. yeah, they're praying. They're praying. But I just like, like when I, when I watched that, I was like, maybe they're sincere about that. I don't ever want to judge people's sincerity. But I also think that like claiming to have sex with other people, which is very unbiblical, especially like in the church. To, and to claiming for like to, is that's like your missionary journey. It's, I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> no, but that's the amazing. doggy. That's the doggy journey. Yeah, not the missionary. Missionary is so boring. <laughs> I like missionary. It's a good place to start. It is. Hey, that's your argument. It's you a, just it's, started that. <laughs> it's a good place to start. It's not a good place to stay. I agree with that. No, I'm I'm with that. It's like I your totally, starter yeah. home. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, I'll agree with that 100. percent so if you use a wedge, it's more fun. I will give you that. Uh, yeah, just and then saying. you get into this whole discussion of how far are you leaning back before it's no longer missionary anymore. Oh, I never even thought about that. Ah, oh, see, tomato, tomato. Look at this. All this yeah. stuff I'm learning right now. <laughs> I'll never forget. We were we, we were at a party. You remember? It's like, guys don't understand. The girls want the triangle. They don't want you on top of them. They want the triangle. They want... <laughs> Here's, you know, I I do think uh, I do I do want to want to go a little further in a couple of things that you've talked about just for people you know who who are in our audience who either are struggling with their faith or who have kind of moved past it and are now kind of wondering you know what the grounding is from here and where to go. I think the first question I'm, this has to be in your top five is how are you defining atheist? All right, so I mean my definition of atheist is quite simple: a person who does not believe in God. That's it. And, and that, and that's, that's the, that's the thing that gets the trips. Most people up is like, I don't believe in God, any God. Therefore I am an atheist. Like I don't believe in one and that's it. And, and so, so then, then there's, when you say someone's an atheist, there's no set of like, there's no atheist Bible. So there's, there's no assumptions that you can make on about atheists other than they don't believe in God. And that, that, that a, a being a supernatural being does not dictate their life or the direction that their life goes. So then you actually have to get to know that person. And, and there are some commonalities, like once you start meeting atheists, like there are definitely some commonalities, but at the same time, like, I mean, I'm an atheist who likes to go to country music concerts because I enjoy country. And that's weird for people because they're like, well, country people are all about God and guns. I was like, yes, I'm about neither, but I like the music. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you say atheist, do you mean and this is this is where I think people get and this is a, an argument I have to get into with people myself when I define myself as an atheist. Do you mean that I believe there is no God or I have not seen any evidence that leads me to believe that there's a God? It's kind of the same thing. I mean, ultimately, every atheist claims to be a free thinker. So I would say that I have not seen any compelling evidence that suggests that the Abrahamic God who uh, and Jesus is real, and nor and, and I will say that you know Judaism you know I haven't seen any compelling evidence that Vishnu exists. I haven't seen any compelling evidence that any of these gods exist. If I saw compelling evidence, then I would consider it. But there isn't any. There's a bunch of old books that tell different stories, and there are a bunch of people who have feelings in their hearts about those stories. And those are all well and good. You can have feelings and you can have great feelings about God or Allah or whomever. But uh, uh, knowing it in my heart, does it, there are plenty of people who know in their heart that they were abducted by aliens, but that doesn't make it so. And that doesn't make it true. So I am an atheist in the sense that I have seen no compelling evidence that God exists. And I'm just not interested in the question anymore because I don't think there's anything out there that is going to compel me as of yet, to believe that the story of the, the stories of the Bible are true, that Jesus is real, that he can come back and heal people, um, that he can resurrect people from the dead. You know, in the age of YouTube, the miracles of Jesus should be pretty well documented. And if he's still working today, but they're not. And, you know, we could do double blind studies where we take cancer patients in and have them prayed over and see if that works. And, you know, all those kinds of things and see if it really works. But we don't do that. Um, and religious people don't do that because you can't test the Lord thy God. That's, I, I just don't believe in God because I don't see any evidence such. I mean, is the possibility there? Sure. But I don't, you know, I don't live my life based on possibilities. I live my life based on probabilities. And if I lived it just on possibilities, I'd never get in my car. I'd never get in an airplane and I'd probably die in my house. And so, so that's, you know, that's kind of where I stand on those things. 
Yeah, somebody, and I think maybe it's Sam Harris. I can't remember has a has a line that I like that you know, like it's it's almost a ridiculous. Athe- the phrase atheist is almost a ridiculous word to even need. Like you don't have to say we're a Easter bunny or right. like you know a fairies or right. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true that and it's it is. It's one of those you know. It's just it doesn't really when you think about it. It doesn't say much about you. It just says it doesn't say who you are. It just says what you don't believe in. And then and then that's where the that's where the the challenge for people comes in, especially folks who leave their religion, is that. Well, now I'm an atheist, but there's nothing that goes with that. And that's why a lot of people, I think, identify as humanist because it it brings with it some humanist values. So it helps you rebuild and replace your value system a little bit easier than like starting from scratch. So I guess let's, let's move to the question we've kind of been jumping around a little bit, which is, you know, if you have people who are, they are realizing that they're losing their faith or that, you know, religion is something they no longer believe in. How do they start developing a moral system to guide themselves? And I think this is a great question, particularly, you know, when we start talking about things like that there isn't a, a really solid moral system around already, like non-monogamy, like things right. like that. So here's where I start. If it's illegal, don't do it. So that sounds really elementary, but here's the thing. Like, I don't want to go to jail or prison or get arrested. If I was in jail or prison, I would have to be someone's like girlfriend. Like I would not, I'm not an alpha male. So I would, I would be screwed in that point because like I, so I don't want to go to jail or prison because I, that does not, that's not an appealing life for me. Um, so I don't do things that will get me there. Like I don't drink and drive because I don't want to get arrested and go to jail. My next step is I don't, uh, like, you know, the golden rule. Like I wouldn't want someone to come into my house and kill me. So I don't do that either. I don't want someone to rob me. So I don't do that. And then I, I don't know. I feel like that's a, like a legit explanation for things. And then I have a silver rule. I call it the silver rule, which is don't be a dick. And, and that's also pretty simple. Like just don't be a dick about things. And there's, there's no, the thing is like, here's, here's what people think that they, that their religion tells them what's moral. And, and that's not true. And all you, you, you don't have to look very far. You usually just have to look down the street because the church down the street says something is bad that your church doesn't agree with. Some churches say drinking is immoral. Some churches say it's fine. Some churches say Jesus created some really good grape juice at a wedding. Some people say, no, that's ridiculous. Jesus created some really great like alcoholic wine and got people drunk off their ass. Like beer started in abbeys by monks because they were fasting. It must have made the fasting way more fun. Right. And so, and, and, and you look no further than like being gay. Like some churches now say that being gay is, falls just fine for God. And other churches are like, no. And so all you do, if you're a religious person, you are already choosing your own morals. You just go to a different church that doesn't, that agrees with you. You're not saying like if 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 the Bible was a really good like moral book that set out some great principles, I feel like everybody would kind of follow the same rule, but they don't. And so when you're in church and you're like, well, I just feel like the Lord is leading me somewhere else, really what it is is that you had a belief, you have a belief system, your church doesn't agree with your belief system, so you go to another one. You know, some people are very like like look at like, you know, vegans and vegetarians versus like meat eaters. Some people have like a religious attachment to that idea of like what to eat. And they have, they build their, you know, I met, I, I interviewed a guy who was Hindu who he is like loves beef because his religion was attached to what he couldn't eat. So he was like, went from vegetarian to someone who eats beef. Whereas I've met other atheists who left their faith and are now vegans because they like they connected to like the like cruelty to animals and stuff. So I'm more of like a relativist in the sense that like you have to do what works for you. And as long as it's not like illegal and it's not hurting anybody, then I'm good with that. And in the church, it's so hard for you to get to that point because the church tells you that that's wrong. Like that's a bad way to live your life. Like you need to live your life based on God's laws. But, but the thing is like, that's not a bad way to live your life. Like it's a good way to live your life. I'm not going to do anything illegal. I'm going to do. I'm. I'm not going to do anything to someone that I didn't. I wouldn't want to do to me. I'm not going to be a dick about things, and uh, I'm going to like try to have some fun. And because like Christians in other countries act totally different than Christians in America. Their morality is different, 
And like, there are some Christians in other, like in African countries that have multiple wives because that's okay. But in America, it's not okay. And you know why it's not okay? Because we have laws against it. So even like <laughs> Christians follow the laws and, and, and it's, you know, why aren't Mormons polygamous anymore? Because it's not legal to be like legally married to multiple people. And so, so it's, it's one of those things where you do choose your own morality. You just don't realize it. And now once you're on the other side of it in the atheist realm, you get to choose your own morality. And, and then that raises, you know, all kinds of questions. Like you have to wrestle with things. Like I use this example all the time. It's a great example because it makes every single person uncomfortable the moment they hear the word abortion. You have to decide once you leave your faith, that's one of those things that you then have to wrestle with. Why do I think it's bad? Or do I think it's bad? Or do I think it's permissible? Or do I think it's permissible in certain circumstances? You know, and so, so it's, um, it's, it, it's tricky in that you have to think about it. But at the same time, you also have to remember, like, you've always chosen your morality. You just didn't realize it. So that's how I choose what I do. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because growing up, my father identified as an atheist. So it's funny because Rigel grew up in a religious family. That's why you're such a pervert. It is, right? Ah. And I would often as a kid hear people ask my father, well, like, you're you're a dad. You, you have a child. Like, what is directing you? in, in, on the right path, right? Like what, where do you get your morals from? You know, like if you think that it's okay not to believe in God, then is it okay to like rape small children? Like, and it was always like that big jump, right? Like it's okay not to believe in God. So like you now believe that it's okay to rape small children. And my father was like, no, that's fucking wrong. Like, even if, if, even if God said it was okay, I would still find that to be wrong. Like, I I don't need God to tell me that that is messed up. I mean, technically, God did say it's okay to kill and rape people in the Old Testament all the time. Like one of those kings, one I think it was I think it was Saul. Like Saul went in and attacked a village, and God said kill everybody, and Saul Saul showed mercy, and God got pissed about that. Like, and people don't. And somehow everybody overlooks that because, you know, Jesus. And and it's it's <laughs> it's it's one of those things where like like God is God does permit God told somebody God told one guy to go kill your son up on a mountain. And the dad was like, Okay. Abraham was like, That's cool, I'll go do that, you know, because you told me to do that. And like like people nowadays look at that and it's like if somebody kills their kid and they get and that's on the news and he says, Well, God told me people are like, that's just crazy. That's crazy talk, you know, but like those same, those very same people that are like, that's crazy go into church. And they're like, well, God told me to move my entire family overseas to Africa to go witness to them. And nobody thinks that's crazy, but you do get that big jump. Like, well, now that you're not a believer, is it okay to go murder people? No, because I'll go to jail and I don't want to go to jail. You know, it's funny. I think we got a similar, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the coming out conversation with my family. There was a very similar slippery slope argument made, and I don't remember the exact. It was child brides. We went from non-monogamy to child brides. That sounds about right. Yes. That was the conversation because I went off on your parents and I didn't speak to them for quite a while. Do those yeah, people that know that right. child brides are legal in America? Do they know that like in Tennessee, there are documented cases of 10-year-old girls getting married to men and this is in the 2000s? Like, I was unaware of that. That's uh... Yeah. Like the Catholic Church just recently decided to set the lowest, like to set the minimum age of marriage at 14. Like, like that's, that's, that's big of them. Like, like it's not these people that are like all up in their like morality. Like they're the very same people who are like marrying off children so that it's not sinful. Like they're the same people. They just don't know it. So these people are like, well, non-monogamy leads you to this. Like that's bullshit, dude. Because like your people are like, it's legal in America for someone under 18 to be given to someone else for marriage if the parents consent and very few states have minimum marriage age laws very few like there's like two that have set it at 18 most of them it's lower than that with parental consent or if a judge signs off on it these religious folks they don't know that because the atheists are the terrible people i get a little passionate about this part <laughs> well we are committing adultery 
So there's that. Right. Because that's all the time. Because that's the bad part. You know, marrying a 10 year old off is not a bad thing. But those people that are consenting adults that go fuck other people, they're the real reason why this country is going down the down down the tubes. So besides the morality end of things, you know, you said part of what you've been chronicling is is kind of rebuilding after religion, right? Getting getting back to uh, yeah. Getting back to where you're at, trying to get over that stuff. So besides morality, what are some other areas that you see, uh, you know, on your journey and other people that you've talked to that they kind of have to rebuild after they choose to leave religion? Well, that's a great question. I've never been asked that one before. So let me think about that for a second. I think what I see a lot of people do is they, they, they destroy, this is the analogy I've been using lately, is that people have their, like, let's say that your, your religion, like they have their Christian house that is built, you know, their house has four bedrooms, it's white, um, you know, whatever. And then when they, when they leave their faith, they, they bulldoze their Christian house and then they rebuild their atheist house to look the exact same way, but it's not white anymore. It's black or whatever. And, and, and so it looks the same. Like, the, like, like a Ryan Bell once said that atheism in America is very much a Christian atheism in that, you know, people tend to, they're very loud about their Christianity. So they leave their Christianity and they're very loud about their atheism. They become like atheist e- evangelists and they do a lot of the same things that religious folks do. Like a fundamentalist mind is a fundamentalist mind, no matter what. And it, it depends on where it's plugged in. I think the areas that I see a lot of people rethinking and reevaluating are relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, whether or not they want to have children and career and jobs. So now you, you get to decide like, do I want to get married without, once you strip away the religion and the romance from marriage is marriage is legal marriage of a viable and a smart institution for people to get involved in. That's a question a lot of people ask. Should I have kids? Do I want to have kids? Church tells you you have to have children because that's God's ultimate expression of love. The ultimate expression of love between two people is a child. I heard that, those words in church and bummer for the people who can't have kids. So they think people have to rethink like, should I or should I not have children? What do I want to do for my career? Especially those of us who believe that like God was leading us to a particular career. Well, now we have to ask, we get to, we get to ask ourselves, what do I want to do with life? Because before asking that question used to be selfish. And so I think a lot of people have to get past this notion that doing what you want to do is selfish. I mean, it is, but that's not bad. Trying to decide like, what do I want to do in life? Where do I want my career to go? Those are big questions that people ask themselves that you don't really think about in religion because you are just told what to do. You're told to get married. You're told to have kids. You're told to follow God's plan for your life, which will lead to a career. And sometimes those things coincide with what you want and other times they don't. And so I think those are the big questions I see people like wrestling with. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because you're talking about being selfish and doing what works for you. And honestly, that's what makes us the best partners. That's what makes us have the best relationships is when we start looking at things from the perspective of being intentional. Like, this is what I want. This is what I need. Now I can communicate that and work on that and build a relationship. And So I end up talking to people all the time about their relationships. And that's one of the things that I have to like drive home is like, you need to be selfish. You need to think about your needs, your wants, your desires. And it's interesting to hear that you're, you're saying sort of like, well, in some ways, religion takes that away. Oh, they, they, they try to take it away. Like, I think that's a, it's a, I can't like the the ultimate the ultimate stab is to be prideful and selfish because when you do what you want to do when when I when I told my pastor I was leaving my marriage he looked me in the eye I will never forget these words he looked me in the eye he said well it's just as I thought you're smug selfish and full of pride and it's tragic and he got up he gave me a hug and he walked out the door those are the last words I ever spoke to him so to, to call you selfish is a huge stab in the church. And once you leave the church, just like you said, Cassie, once you leave the church and you get to put yourself first, I remember a friend of mine said, Luke, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I've never been able to answer that question because it's always, what does God want you to do with your life? So now I'm able to answer, what do I want to do with my life? And, and it was just this crazy 
time of being selfish. And now, even like with Tammy and in, in the swing thing, like when you are selfish and putting yourself first, you are able then, you're doing what makes you happy. So you bring the best of you to things as opposed to like being like dreary and sad and unfulfilled. So you're just like, you know, a shitty person. You know, it's funny you had, um, and I, I know I'm hopping way back here, but something you just said reminded me of it. When you were talking earlier about how, you know, when you're a pastor and that's your living at the end of the day, whatever doubts you have, you got to come back to to believing. You know, it's funny. I'd, I'd heard a discussion a while ago, and I'm trying to recall the details, but it essentially went something along the lines of, you know, that professional religious people, like, you know, talking about the church, like pastors, people who have, you know, uh, pastors and priests, right? But people who have, for the most part, most people who are doing that job, or a lot of them anyways, have gone to seminary, they've gone to some kind of Bible school, they've really studied, and they know a lot of the shit that is wrong, like things like contradictions in the text, when the texts were written, like how the Bible was actually put together, what was in, what was out. All these things that that your average religious person doesn't know, and that you know that that the rate of unbelief among professionals is probably higher than among anybody else. But at the end of the day, that's what you've devoted your whole life to. That's what you're doing now. That's who you are. That's how you make your money. So, yeah, you believe it. Yeah, the skills that I developed in being a pastor. And so there's a there's a, a thing out there called the Clergy Project, which is all about trying to help current and former clergy get back on their feet after they leave the faith. Because a lot of us devoted our whole life to it. And now, fuck, what are we going to do? Because it's not like an IT degree where you can just leave one company and go to another. The, you know, the jobs as a pastor are like you can go into sales, you can go be a, a therapist and go into more debt if you want to do that. And it's really hard to figure out how to make a living with your skills. And that's one of the reasons I started the show was because I was like, well, this is something I want to do. Like, I'd love to get into talk radio or something one day. And, um, you know, we get to we'll make a little bit of money off of it now through Patreon and stuff like that. We're trying to make more. But it's just one of those things of like, you know, that's why I do funerals. I do non-religious funerals. And I make really good money doing that. But that's a skill that I developed as a pastor that I now translate. So I, I, I actually, I had a funeral arranger not long ago say... When I was talking to her and telling her about the services I do, she was like, oh, you're like an atheist pastor. And I kind of like, I smiled in that moment because I was like, she doesn't even know that I host the show by the same name. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a really interesting, it, it's, it, I really feel for people that have families and, and who are in a position where they're like, I'm stuck because I don't believe in this, but I can't leave. And, um, you know, they've kind of got the biblical handcuffs on, which are rough. You know, it's it's interesting. So, and we're kind of coming full circle here on some of this stuff, talking, you know, going back to talking about our people now and, and you know, people who leave the faith in general. So we have a good friend who is a shaman and, you know, and he's got a lot of the spiritual jobs that you would see in, in a priest and a pastor for the people that he serves but as he's very fond of telling us, you know, that's not people don't take care of, you know, people don't take care of the people like that who aren't in like one of the major religious faiths. Like if you're, you know, trying to help people or like, you know, conduct ceremonies or build community or anything like that, you're kind of like in religion or you're screwed, right? Like we don't right. take care of those kind of people when they're not religious, like we would not take care of an atheist pastor in the same way we would take care of a pastor pastor. So, which kind of gets me thinking about when people do leave religion, you know, one of the big things that religion provides to people is community. And it's something that there there isn't a, a very analogous thing for a lot of times in the secular world. So when you're talking about people overcoming and, and rebuilding after leaving their faith, how do you talk about the community aspect of that? Woo! That's that's that is. I'll tell you what. If I could figure that out, I would be rich. Like <laughs> I would be so fucking wealthy if I could figure out how to pull that off. So one of the reasons that I do not, I always tell people that want to talk to me about religion that I am not an atheist evangelist. I don't want you to deconvert unless you want to. Because who am I? Okay. So so religion gives you community, purpose, 
It's a mental health strategy for a lot of folks. It helps them cope with the shit that happens in their lives. Who am I to come along and say, all that's bullshit. Let me rip all that out from under you. Ha ha, I have nothing to offer you other than I'm smarter. You know, because that's essentially what these guys do. They go on, they go on, uh, on YouTube and they build all these arguments, but they, don't, they forget that they're dealing with people who have needs that religion fills. One of the things that I'm super grateful for now is that it's not much, but we have something that we can offer folks. So we have a group that grew out of the podcast called the Yappers, Y-A-P-P-E-R-S, and the Yap, people don't get, like Yap is your atheist pastor. That's what it stands, the Y-A-P is that. So that's where Yappers came from. I, I thought of it drunkenly one night and it stuck. So we have that. We have about 215 people in that group. You have to request to join. You have to answer questions. Like you can't just join. It's not, you know, the, no trolls allowed. If you troll or you're a dick, I'll kick you out faster than like, you know, anything. But at least we have that to offer folks. And it seems to work really well for a lot of people. Uh, when it comes to the community, I tell folks like, find, do, I don't want to say don't, but it's, you know, if you if you feel good in those, there, there are atheist meetups all over the place. Like we have atheist groups around here in SoCal and there's atheist groups all over the country. You just kind of have to find them. I don't like going to those because I don't like the agenda there. Most of the time, most of the atheist meetups that I've gone to here in Southern California turn into progressive political bitch sessions. And I, you know, people like atheists complain all the time about how religious people have married conservative political values to religion. And atheists are now doing the same thing with progressive politics. And that's not something that I don't want to spend my Saturday and Sunday doing those things. I don't want to spend my time doing that. So I have found connection in things that that I have in common with other people that have nothing to do with religion. So I found connection in the yoga community. I found a lot of connection and community in the swing realm. Like I love, like we've met a lot, we've met so many friends that we're like people we're friends with now through swinging and through non-monogamy. Like that's where we have found our community. I know some people that find their community like in the country music scene or in the rock music scene or in the heavy metal scene. That's where they get their community. So I would say that the reason that building an atheist community doesn't work is because there's no such thing. If you just bond over what you don't believe in, it's only going to last so long. So I encourage people to, to pick up a passion or a desire or something that they enjoy and then find people in that that they can connect with. They might meet a Christian. They might meet an atheist. They might meet somebody who's religiously ambiguous and who doesn't give a shit. You know, some of my best friends are still Christians. And we joke all the time about how they'll be waving at me from heaven while I'm in hell. And they don't believe that, but that's, you know, they, they're, they're more like progressive and open Christians. But, but it's really hard to connect with, uh, just, with someone who's just an atheist. You've got to have another commonality there. And so I've connected with a lot of folks, you know, out here through like different, you know, we, we, we gather around beer. I found a lot of folks who enjoy drinking beer and I do too. And so we go hang out at breweries. And, and then we talk about other stuff that it, and we, you know, we bullshit about everything. And, 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 um, but I just get annoyed with the way these meetups turn into these progressive political think tanks. And I don't have fun at that at stuff like that. Like people just get angry. And so I try to be a little bit more, you know, I don't know. I like to have a little bit more fun than that. <laughs> so I guess the important thing isn't so much like finding a religious replacement with an atheist thing as much as if yes. you are losing community, if you are losing having friends and support, finding another way to get that, finding another place to have friends, another place to connect with people. Exactly. I do think for a lot of people who are alternative, I do think they can find, they find at least some of that in the alternative community. You know, you're talking about the swing community, you know, the kink community around where we're at is is pretty... I don't say tight knit anymore. There's too many people in it now for me to call it tight knit, but it's certainly most of the place that, you know, our friends and our acquaintances and, and things like that have have come from outside like a work context. Yeah. And I, you know, I connect with some people at my job. Like I you know, doing some of the funerals, like I've really gotten to know some of the other, like the funeral arrangers. Like I've gone out to drinks with a couple of them, like just to hang out. But uh yeah, it's it's really it's it goes back to what to what Ryan Bell said about our atheism in America looks very Christian. 
like you think, I think of like the Sunday assembly stuff where they, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that Sunday assembly is a thing that started in, I think it started in London and it's kind of made its way over here where it's basically like church, but without God. So they sing songs, they, they share some kind of inspirational message. They go out to dinner and it's, it's a very, it's very churchy, but there's no God. And so it helps kind of replace that. But I love what you said, Cassie, it's not about replacing one faith system or one church with another it's about replacing those things that you lost and you can you can do that in multiple ways you don't have to just do it by finding a church structure and building i think that's pretty good you want to move on to the speed round yeah ooh okay. ooh the speed round i've been excited about this <laughs> all right so we're going to do our speed round and the idea yes if you can actually do it cuz most people can't is to get through all of these questions in under a minute how many do we um, have 10. 10. It's 10 so we questions. Have six seconds per question. Yes. So you want to just dive in and answer them as fast as you can. Do it. Not think too hard. Okay. Okay. What's something you're not very good at? Singing. Best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? There are no rules. What are three things you couldn't live without? Sex, beer, and my dogs. What turns you on? Attractive people. <laughs> Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Ah, um, dogs are the best animals in the world, but a lot of people agree with that. Uh, you're over the hump now. A book that you would recommend to our listeners. Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. What's your biggest fear? Somebody slitting my throat. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? This can be sexual or non-sexual. Road Bulls. Who is your movie star slash TV star crush? Zach Efron. What's I know it's a dude. What's something that you're working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? I'm working. I mean, my podcast is the thing I want them to know about. I want them to listen to it because it's great. And that was about eight. That was about a minute and eight seconds. So, ah! although we are going to have to ask the Road Bulls question again, but before that, where can our listeners find you? Get on your podcast app and type in Your Atheist Pastor and then listen to it. If you like the stuff we do, then go to our website and try to get involved. If you listen to the show and you hate it, then don't worry about the rest of that stuff. Okay. And what what is, what is now that we're not on a clock, what is Road Bulls? Oh, I no, I rode bulls. Like bull oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, rode? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was bull, not. Bull riding. Sorry. Gotcha. I, I, was, I was trying. I was really, I really wanted to get through it in like in, in a minute. But. You know, you got through everything except what you're working on right now. So I, I count that as a win. Most people get hung on that. Something that's true that nobody agrees with you on question. That sticks I know, people. And a lot of people agree with me that dogs, like dogs are the best animals ever. But some people really think cats are the best ever. Some people hate dogs. And I don't, I don't trust those people at all. But <laughs> But no, that that was one that hung up. I was just like, I just went with the first thing that popped in my head. On That's that the one. idea. So the yeah. funny thing is, I actually understood what what Luke said. I understood that he said road bulls. And I was like, I really want to ask if this is like a sexual thing or if this is actually like road bulls. But I was like, no. No, no I want to know. know. It was actual like I, I sat on a 1200 pound piece of like like pissed off hamburger and like tried <laughs> and tried to stay there. Um, and that was in, I did that for a year. I did that in 2005. I ended up in the hospital. I almost died from that. And I decided there are better things in this life to die for. And this is not one of them. Yeah. But <laughs> it's got to make for great stories when you're picking up chicks. Oh, hell yeah. And it's, it was super fun. Like it was a blast. Like the, 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 the adrenaline rush of sitting there and nodding your head, knowing that like that gate is going to open and who the fuck knows what's happening next was crazy. How did you get into that? I feel like I've always, I've, I've never felt like a manly masculine person. And for whatever reason, that seemed like a good option to prove my masculinity to people. So I grew up, I mean, I grew up in, I grew up in, that's probably not the answer you were looking for, but that's the, like, that's like emotionally, I think that's why I did it. I grew up in Southern Michigan where there were rodeos every weekend, like at the local, like there were a bunch of people that would put on rodeos with their bulls. And so I just found a guy who would be willing to teach me how to do it. And I bought chaps and the, 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 yeah, I had the hat and shit, but you know, I bought all the stuff you needed to do it. I bought a rope and everything and we practiced. And then I went to a little small local rodeo and paid the 30 bucks that you needed to pay to ride. And I was brand new and they sat me on the bull and I sat down and did it. And I liked it. And I did it again. I did it about six or seven times. And the last time was when I got stepped on and 
broke four ribs and punctured a lung and all kinds of crazy shit, and you know, all that stuff that you don't want to have happen to you. And see, and I'm like, I don't understand why this is like masculine though. It's like you're climbing on top of something, you're gripping onto it, sliding around. The okay, so the act the the act of of riding a mechanical bull is far more sexual than riding a breathing one. I don't know, man. I think both are pretty sexual looking. I think they're <laughs> both, and and I gotta say, when you fall off a bull, whether whether it is a mechanical one or a live one, you no longer look masculine. <laughs> But the balls it takes to get on one. That's true. No, that's a vagina. Vaginas can take a beating and get back up and walk away. Balls, I kick them in and they fall over and die. So, no, it takes a nice, beautiful vagina to climb on a bull. I don't know if I even want to put in my two cents. I hear what you're saying, though. I uh, I did. I'm I did, just picking. I did some MMA stuff, and it's that it's that feeling of like once you get in the ring. You're you're in there for a minute. You're like, you know, it doesn't even matter if I win or lose at this point. I got in, and that's such an amazing yeah. feeling. Yeah, regardless. So it was, yeah, it was it was fun, but that's not something that I need to do ever again. <laughs> I'm just picking at you. Well, Luke, thanks so much for coming on the show. We've had a blast. You're welcome. This was fun. This was fun. So thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We'll have to uh, we'll have to stay in touch. Yes, definitely. All right, guys, thanks for joining us today. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 064. I found the uh, Christian Swingers video that Luke was talking about on YouTube. It is every bit as wonderful as it sounds. I'll include that in there as well. And until next time, guys. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.